so we can cooperate with Him, we can abide in Him, and allow His life in and through us to express Christ's life. Or, unfortunately, we can grieve and quench Him by uh, you know, just willful sinning or uh, not obeying the Lord or not learning how to appropriate His life for all that He demands. And so many churches, they would say they believe these type truths, but understanding how do I appropriate them, how do I have this abiding life and cooperate with what God wants to do in and through me is, is quite a different thing. Hi, I'm Byron Tyler. It's always a pleasure. You know, we drive by uh, churches all the time. And what's on the inside? Well, today we're going to unveil what's on the inside of a brand new church plant, Cornerstone Baptist Church of Germantown. Privileged to have Dr. John Charfing. Pastor John, good to have you. Good to be with you. Thank you for this opportunity. So Cornerstone Baptist Church of Germantown, brand new church plant. That's right. We began back over the summer and uh, constituted at the end of August, and the Lord's been steadily adding to us. Tell me about your wife and family. All right. I've been married to Stephanie for almost 22 years now, and we are blessed with four children. Rebecca, she's a uh, senior with Liberty University. And then Hudson, he's a junior with Liberty as well. And then Zane, he's in the 11th grade. And Ian, uh, he's in the 7th grade. I'm assuming that all their personalities are quite different. That's that's right. That's right. (laughs) Isn't it interesting how you're in the same family, but they all have different bents and interests and they're not the same. That's right. They're all they're all quite different, but all all great kids. Where did you meet your wife and what were the circumstances that you met your wife? I actually met my wife on my very first mission trip. It, I, what my mission wasn't to find a wife, <laughs> um, but I was joining her church on a mission trip down to Honduras, and I actually met her as an acquaintance in the airport in New Orleans when our team was met together. And God's providence later, we I came back a few years later and became came on staff at her church, and that's when we really got to know each other down in Clarkston, Mississippi. So as you started dating and saw that you had similar interests and goals in life, what was it that God did to confirm marriage to the both of you? Well, one of the things I noticed about my wife is she just has such a servant's heart, and she's uh, just very kind and loving. When I was there, I took some students to a missionary appointment service, and it was at that service that God called her to missions, and she gave her yes. And God had previously shown me that I was to be involved in cross-cultural missions. On the way back, she was saying that, you know, she wanted to go but didn't want to go by herself, asked if I'd pray for her, and I was kind of like, Lord, I'll take care of this one if you let me. <laughs> I love it, I love it. So for fun stuff, when the family's hanging out, what do you like to do? We love to play basketball. We're a basketball family, so we'll play together. We also love to bike, and so we've been enjoying Shelby Farms or hike, camp. A lot of outdoors activities is what we love. Let's go back to early life for you. Were there factors at that point that pointed you to the gospel? Yeah. When I was uh, just three years old, my family was not in church. My mother was saved. My dad probably thought he was. He was basically a lost church member. But we had moved and were out. And there was a church that adopted different communities and began to engage them. And Harold Porter actually came knocking on our house door and invited us to church. And my family got back in church then as when I was in three, a very strong gospel-centered, Christ-centered church. My mom began to grow, and God began to show my dad and 
and us as kids are need of the gospel. That's how God got us in. Part of the thing, too, that the Lord used in that church was they were inwardly growing together, but they were also outwardly engaging lostness and engaging a community. So it became normal for us to go out and invite people to church, normal to go out and try to reach out to people through different means and methods. Uh, but it was an outward gospel-focused church, and those were seeds that God would sow into my life uh, that he would bring some fruit from later. And that fruit obviously pointed you into ministry. So talk about that specific call to ministry and, and why ministry and not some other profession. Were you, as a youth and maybe in high school, college, were you thinking about some other type of profession? Well, uh, for generations, it's been John Charping Builders and Son. Uh, my, a family business. A family business. Yeah. In fact, much of the upstate in South Carolina uh, is known because of what the Charping Builders have done there. And so my dad was now, he had taken the business from his father, and it was his business with his sons. And he uh, had dreamed that basically I would take over the business and that he would uh, roll off and help do more of the business side as I did more of the uh, construction side. But at the age of 16, God made it clear that he had called me to preach and teach his word. And as a 16-year-old, I didn't understand this clearly. And one day I was out walking, hiking with my dad, and we stopped along the trail. And he, he said to me, he said, I recognize God's call in your life. He said, here's had been my dream for you. He said, but I want you to know I'm releasing you to obey God. Now, as a 16-year-old, I said, okay, I didn't really understand that. Uh, but now as an adult, to look back and to see uh, not only the family tradition, um, but even his own economic future to say, okay, Lord, I'm going to trust you for the family business as I let my son follow you. Uh, and so God made that clear. It was in, in college that uh, I thought the Lord was going to have me pastor then, but it was in college that God began to change my heart about missions and give me a a burden and a heart uh, for cross-cultural work. Wow. That had to be a powerful moment, John, with your dad. I mean, having the pride and the heritage in that company, which is nothing wrong with that at all, the, the hard labor and things that he had done over the years to build that company, and obviously wanting to pass it on to you to be the next leader. You know, I was thinking about in Jesus' day when the disciples were called. I can't imagine here's these fishermen, and they're called to become fishers of men. I wonder what their parents were thinking. That's were, right. You know, at the time, I don't know if they had the same <laughs> the same blessing probably that uh, you received from your dad. That's, uh, you wonder that. <laughs> James and John, what did their dad say when they left yeah. the work? And probably in mid-season, too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, let's talk about that first pastorate. Where was that at? Uh, well, I, I've served in different staffs uh, in different churches in South Carolina, Uh begin working with children at first, begin to, to create children church uh, things and create uh, church and uh, kid and youth events. And then later, when I came to seminary at Mid-America here, I was on staff at Riverside Baptist Church there with working with youth, youth and associate pastor there um, before we would go over to the mission field. Yeah, you and your family lived in South Asia as missionaries. What was that like? It was, uh, you know, when you think about um, saying, you know, this isn't like Kansas. It was, you know, totally <laughs> unlike any other place we've been before. Uh, we lived in the northern part of South Asia, up in the mountains. It was gorgeous. 
Um, the people were incredible uh, people, um, but also there was a darkness because of the absence of the gospel. Wow. And so God, he would teach us uh, and show us in his word and, and use the people of God to grow us in the ways of God. Um, it was a time of trusting God to provide for us uh, and take care of us in sickness and uh, and and take care of us that the work might go go forward. Um, it was a growing time in our marriage together with we were so isolated from a lot of foreigners, but it was a good time for our family to grow together and and really deepen our hearts in in the church and the people that we were investing in. Let's talk a moment, if we can, John, about, and I've done something similar about moving my family on the other side of the world, but we moved to Guam, which is U.S. territory, and so a lot of the similarities that we have here, speaking English, using U.S. currency, seeing a McDonald's and, you know, the corner of Taco Bell, that was all there. But your situation obviously different. Talk about moving your family into an entirely different culture where the language is different, too. That's right. So, when we first went, our daughter uh, had just turned one. In fact, the day we landed, our uh, son turned two months. So here, taking two uh, babies, basically, and taken to a country where everything we have is just packed up in some trunks, into a place where we liked rice before, but now rice was <laughs> the main staple, rice and lentils and, and, and vegetables, where my wife has always been a great cook. Um, but living there forced to be even a better cook because everything was from scratch. If yeah. you were going to uh, make biscuits, if you were going to um, make a cake, sometimes even making uh, different desserts and stuff, it all had to be from scratch. Wow. And the Lord just grew her in that. Um, we began to learn a language that at first just looked like a lot of scribble, but little by little, learning how to you know, kind of baby walk that and uh, grow in that, be able to take words and make sentences and to make phrases where we can be able to uh, share life but also share uh, the gospel, it, it will come over time. You know, my wife has always been probably the better of the two of us in language where she just enjoys conversation and she has just a great ear for music. And so um, uh, her language has always been clear, so that was always been a good <laughs> competition healthy competition yeah. to help her help me grow in that and uh the lord blessed us we began to see believers who would uh, meet in 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 minimal conditions where many times these churches would be um maybe one room you're sitting on the floor you you are you have scripture there's no sound system you're not coming to get out you're coming to get in you're not trying. You're not looking at for personalities. You're not looking for some performance. You're satisfied with the Word of God and the and the fellowship of the Spirit, and with believers who would give of their time and their efforts that the gospel might go out. Just a very sincere people. I know. Oftentimes, when we move into different environments or we're trying to make adjustments, sometimes humor comes up. Was there anything that stands out in the transition process and the cultural differences that was Humorous for you and your wife, Stephanie. Yeah, there are several stories through um, through our time overseas where you you basically, if you don't laugh at yourself, you uh, you're going to miss out on a lot of good jokes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, we're trying to communicate one thing and trying to uh, another. One time, I was trying to order it. Uh, there's a little food there called momos. It's like an Asian dumpling, and they make them steamed or fried. And so I was trying to order 
fried momos and they thought I said five orders. And so <laughs> here we have these bags and bags of orders. And I'm thinking, and was, so the guy comes to the door bringing five orders and, and it's a lot of food. And I tried to explain to him, no, I wanted them fried. And so he shakes his head and leaves and then he comes back later and those same five orders are all fried five orders. And so we were trying to think, how do we give away some of this food? That's so funny. Aren't you thankful for times like that? You need that in ministry, don't you? That's right. Light you, moments. you do. You learn to um, just relax and not be stressed when some days you spend all day trying to, you know, get what you need to heat or get what you need to cook. Yeah. Um, you, you learn to be thankful. Yes. Uh, one country we were in, the fuel shortages were so bad that uh, it would take us an entire day of trying to go around the entire city uh, about the size of Memphis, trying to find some gas pump uh, that would give you up to about four gallons of gas, would be about the max you might expect to get. And then sometimes you, you wouldn't get that. Wow. Um, and so you, you learn to be grateful when God blesses. Uh, there would be power shortages where, at the worst, when they were load shed, it would be four hours of power during the day. Wow. And so we kind of got tired of candlelight dinners for a while. <laughs> it ceased to be romantic. Oh, yeah. Um, but when the power come on, the, the kids would yell, the lights are up, power songs. That's when you run your water and your washing machine and power your computer up. Wow. seems like God taught you a lot while you were there. He did. He did. Well, I don't know what the time process was, but after you left your missionary service in South Asia, is that when you moved to Canada to start teaching at the seminary? Well, we, when we were in South Asia, we were working with church planners, and we were equipping people, creating discipleship, church planning materials, and a pastor friend of mine had said to me one time, he said, you owe God not what you are, but what you can be by his grace. And that began to to work in me. And in fact, when I graduated mid-America with my master's degree, I thought, I'm done with school. I don't ever have to go back. It'd have to be the Lord. And sure enough, it, it was the Lord. Lord just led me back for what he would do in the future that I needed to go back and, and get a higher degree. And so I thought to try to do that on the field, but with limited resources and limited electricity, it just felt like that was not very tenable to do. And so it came back in 2009 uh, to work on Ph.D. studies and then uh, finished in 2011. And then God began to direct us back overseas. And so in doing so, uh, God led us to Southeast Asia uh, to work with a group of missionaries needing someone who could help uh, in training helping them get to start churches and helping a Baptist denomination there and in helping start churches and develop its people. And in there, we also taught at a Baptist seminary in that area. And then after that, because of some health reasons, we came back to the States uh, to work in Virginia with the International Mission Board's uh, home uh, headquarters, working with training new missionaries there. And it's from there that we transitioned to Western Canada uh, to teach uh, theology at the uh, Canadian Southern Baptist Seminary in Cochrane, yeah. Alberta. You know, people are sometimes fearful of God's plan for their life. If they surrender to a total call and where God might lead them, you know, I don't know what might happen, you know. Hang on for the ride. It's going to be incredible. The experiences you had in South Asia and then you get to move to Western Canada I envy you, John. I've always wanted to go to Canada and experience the beauty there. So what was that transition like? 
Well, you know, very early on, when we first went to South Asia, the call and the location was very, very clear. After that, the Lord began to give us a heart for the nations where it became more of his leading than to more to him than to just to a location. When we were in uh, South Asia, Southeast Asia, you know, with having kids about to graduate high school and, and thinking about how do we plan our time back in the States and stuff, we began to develop a four and five year plan. And uh, then my wife began to have some health issues. And so that first plan went out the window and then, uh, then the second plan went out the window. And then basically the Lord said, just buckle your seatbelt on and just hang on <laughs> and, and trust my leading. And, and during those days, Job 23, 8 through 10, where basically Job says, I go forward and you're not there. I go back and you're not there. I turn to the right and to the left and can't discern where you are. But then he says this in verse 10. He says, he knows the way that I take. And so we like, Lord, you know the way that we take. Lord, protect us from our ignorance. Lord, provide, um, providentially open the doors for our obedience. And in doing, doing such, uh, as this door in Canada opened up, there are other opportunities that we had, but we, we begin to say, okay, Lord, where do we see your hand of providence in, in making this connection there? And, and that's where we saw his hand the strongest. And, and actually, it, it caused us to step out from an umbrella where it would have been easier financially, in a sense, to go and trust God's provision. But yeah. the Lord has always taken care of us, and we trust he's wiser than we are. So you go from this, uh, I'm assuming in South Asia, just incredible amount of humidity. Uh, That's right. I have been in that area, so I know what it's like humidity-wise. like You can wear the weather as it hits you like when you get off the plane the first time, you know. It smacks you in the face to the, I guess, incredible Arctic, frigid weather in Canada, right? You you know, you think about uh, (laughs) Memphis at the worst part of the summer— and that's 24-7. In fact, it, you could imagine if you didn't have a calendar, didn't know what day of the week it was or what month it was, it's always either hot and wet or hot and dry. Yep. And once you get used to this, it's going to be hot and you're going to be sweating, uh, then you're good with it. Um, to go there, we did have a transition, I think, in Virginia helped us. It kind of let our blood thin, uh, uh, thicken up a little bit. Yeah, but yeah. yes, in Western Canada, it's gorgeous. We look at our... Where we were in South Asia, we look at our windows and see the third highest peak. Here, we looked at our windows and saw the Rockies. It was incredibly gorgeous. Um, but we had never been in such cold weather before. In fact, this time last year, uh, we were getting temperatures down negative 20, negative 30. In fact, that was a warm February for them. <laughs> uh, friends of ours this past month, there it was down negative 40 and they would take the bowling water outside and throw it into the air let it just turn to, to <laughs> dust basically and i'll never forget i was uh had just been at the gym was heading to walmart and i got out and it was sunny and i was talking to my wife on the phone and i said you know negative 10 is not that bad if the sun's out and so it's amazing how you adjust and amazing how a a dry cold is it is cold. It's definitely cold. Yeah. Issues I had in the car were uh, not the frost on the outside, but the frost on the inside wow. of the glass. In fact, I was heading to the store one morning to get some donuts for some students, and I spilt my coffee. So I sat it down and got a tissue to wipe it up. But before I could do that, it had frozen in the car. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's and your hot coffee. And, that, and that's your hot coffee. That's right. <laughs> 
John, uh, you wrote a book, Foundations in Christ. It's a, a discipleship grid that establishes seven key foundations in a new believer's life. Tell us about the details that led you to write this book. My role, in, in fact, my role overseas has always been equipping God's people to be on mission with God, helping them understand how do you how do you understand what God is after, how do you enter into new communities, share the gospel, disciple those who come to faith, establish churches, and then to develop leaders in those churches. And so in doing such, always trying to say, Lord, how do we do this? How do we follow your ways? And also, how do we equip believers in the foundational things? In fact, there are a lot of discipleship materials out there, and some of these are focused on just what we do but don't have the foundation of who we are in Christ. And and the danger, if they're not prefaced right, is that it's kind of like the Galatian church. They'll be, we'll be trying to get them to perfect in the flesh what God's begun in the Spirit. Speaking of that, what ways does the church today reproduce the forms of the Christian faith but is deficient in dispensing the meaning of that faith? That's right. The, the danger, if you see Paul's writings, he, he divides them first with a doctrinal half followed by a practical half. The first half, I always like to call it the root of your life, grounded in Christ. You're in him. He's in you. And then the second half is that practical or the fruit, the expression of that inward life, and that's Christ. And, and if we're not careful, if we jump to the second half of wanting people to do something, to to be something, to act a certain way without them understanding that you're in Christ and Christ is in you, we will give them the resource to do it. They'll have to depend on their own resource. You see, it is every demand that God puts on our life. It's not a demand on our experience or we need need more of it, or it's not a demand on our education or we need to go back to school, but it's actually a demand on his spirit, that everything he demands is on his spirit who lives within us. And so we can cooperate with him, we can abide in him, and allow his life in and through us to express Christ's life. Or, unfortunately, we can grieve and quench him by uh, you know, just willful sinning or uh, not obeying the Lord or not learning how to appropriate his life for all that he demands. And so many churches, they would say they believe these type truths, but understanding how do I appropriate them, how do I have this abiding life and cooperate with what God wants to do in and through me is is quite a different thing. So how do we bridge the gap between our knowledge of Christian answers and ethics to a life that reflects those same values in a consistent private as well as a public life? That's right. There are several places I could go here. Maybe just for sake of time, I would, I would just go look at Romans chapter 6 where we need to know something about that the day that Christ saved us, that day our, our life ended, and now it became his life for his sake. And so Paul says there, know that our life is hidden Christ, that we died with him, we were buried in him, and we we're raised to walk in newness of life. And, and because of that fact of what we need to know, we need to daily reckon it to be so. It means to live in the light of it. I, I wear a wedding band uh, to symbolize that I'm married. Now, when I wake up in the morning, I don't have to, you know, thump my ring and say, oh, John, you know, remember, reckon you're you're married today, or, uh, or if someone walks by, I don't have to reckon that I'm married, but I live in light of that. So everything is in the fact of that I'm, I'm married to Stephanie, 
When I think about my time, how I spend money, what I do, my affections, my thoughts, everything, I reckon the fact that I'm married. And so in regard to Christ, I'm married to him. And so I don't have to just look back at a time where I was saved. Well, I, I remember that time, but every day walk in, in, the, in the reality that he's my life. And I say, okay, Lord, today, what do you want to do in and through me? And I walk in the resource that he is my life. So every challenge that's going to come today and come this week, I'll say, Lord, I'm looking for you to be my wisdom. I'm looking for you to be my patience and my love. Lord, I'm looking for you to express yourself as, as I yield to you and let you have your way in me. So understand, know, know that I'm in Christ. Know that he's in me. Reckon, live in light of it. And then as Paul says there in Romans 6, yield my members as instruments of righteousness. Lord, these are your hands and these are your feet. This is your mouth. Whatever you want to do with me today, Lord, I'm yours. And then letting him have his way. And as I do that, I find that for everything that comes across my path, he is more than sufficient. And, I just, and as I grow in that, I become more and more confident in him, which makes it easier and easier to trust him as the object of my faith. John, that is so beautiful, so well said. And again, the book is called Foundations in Christ, the Root and Fruit of the Christian Life. Now, can listeners get a copy of that book? They can on Amazon. They can find a copy there. It's on Kindle and on paperback, and also on uh, Apple Books is there digitally as well. Again, the title is Foundations in Christ, The Root and Fruit of the Christian Life by Dr. John Charping. Well, John, our time is coming to an end. Before we say goodbye again, Cornerstone Baptist Church of Germantown is a brand-new church plant. Give us uh, directions how we can find you, website, and service times. All right. You can find us on the web at cbcgermantown.org. We're meeting at Union University's Extension Campus in Germantown on the corner of Hacks Cross and Poplar Pike. And it's not an official function of Union, but they're gracious to allow us space there. We meet on Sunday mornings for Bible study at 9 a.m. and for worship at 1015, and then on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock for worship. Okay, and what do you want a first-time visitor to experience when they come to Cornerstone? We want you to experience the the warmth and and the lovingness of our people. We want you to experience just a Christ-centered worship and and just involve you to come and join us on mission as uh, we engage uh, lostness in the Mid-South. Dr. John Sharping, thank you, my dear brother, for what you're doing for Christ's kingdom and his new church plan at Cornerstone Baptist Church. Thanks for being our guest. Thank you, brother. Friends, that's all the time we have. Thanks for stopping by. I'm Byron Tyler. We'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye.